Jimmy doesn't know exactly what he expected when he re-enters Caroline's house after leaving her alone with the file of his misdeeds, encompassing quite a volume of paperwork. And Jimmy sees that Caroline has spread a lot of it out over her bed. There are a few different groupings, probably by topic, and it's pretty clear to him that she's been looking at it all. When he looks at her, she looks extremely curious, interested, even a little bit excited. But she's also trying to be patient and go at his pace, because as she climbs back up to sit on the bed with some of this paperwork, she says to him, Okay, so, would you tell me about Billionaire Boys Club? Of all the places to start, this is probably the easiest. Uh, yeah. So, the Billionaire Boys Club was an informal, formal, social group for young men who wanted to make a lot of money. Hence the name, and you could probably figure that one out. There were maybe half dozen to a dozen guys in the club at any given time. Certainly a lot more attended the parties. There were some girls too, but, you know, they weren't members of the club. They just worked for us. He pulls a face like he's making fun of his own youthful hijinks. He doesn't necessarily condone any of the information he's about to share, including that part. But Caroline also isn't castigating or judging him. She's just sitting there looking like she wishes she had some popcorn pop. Jimmy leans against the bed a little bit, props his hand on his hip. He's not trying to sit down with her or get too comfortable, but he potentially has a lot to say. It started out as just a get-together, and then it kind of evolved into a kind of big-time financial fraud, money laundering operation, and Ponzi scheme. Oh, did it? I mean, as these things do. <sighs> Maybe it wasn't big time like that guy in New York with the insider trading or Enron or Amway or whatever, but the amount of money from, he makes air quotes with one hand, investors. He puts the air quotes fingers against his lip for a minute, gathering himself closes his eyes. He gets himself back together. So of that 10, 12 members, I think probably four of them knew it was smoke and mirrors. And the leader, because he'd planned it out that way from the jump, and he told his second-in-command, two other guys kind of figured it out. One was totally fine with that because he thought it was going to make him a lot of money. And the other guy 
was kind of pissed off because he lost his entire inheritance to it. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. That's all right. I'm just trying to take it all in. Yeah. You can ask me whatever you want about this. I'm just going to try to give you a summary and then you can get down to the brass tack and figure out what more you need to know. And I'll start by telling you about the guy who founded it, the very first member of the BBC, who, for the purpose of this conversation, ease of reference, we are going to call Joe Hunt. Caroline's settling in a little bit. She's very much intrigued. I said that's not his real name. That was not the name on his birth certificate. But eh, I'll talk about that later. Because I got a lot to talk about. He itches the tip of his nose. Joe grew up in L.A. And then for a while he was in Chicago working at the stock exchange there. Running afoul of the mafia, getting embroiled in some scheming. I guess he brushed up against some Arab terrorists and then got summarily run out of the entire financial scene east of the Mississippi River. Oh, as you do. So fortunately for him, he could retreat back to L.A. And that's not really, there's a lot of money out there. But it's not really a finance town. People are big on money. And pretty low on sense. Which is exactly the type of environment that Joe and his ideas would flourish in, right? And it is pretty much literally the Wild West out there, honey. Like, if we went today, I could take you to the place where Wyatt Earp's last house was. I don't know if it's still there. I think it might be a school now. But the point is, the perfect atmosphere for him to accomplish what he set out to do, which was to be like the rich guys that he went to school with. And that was a fairly tall order because he went to school with some rich guys. I mean, children of celebrity, people whose parents were in the entertainment industry, and you wouldn't know their names. And neither would I, necessarily. But they're richer than God. There were some foreign ambassadors, kids, people who had inherited gobs of cash from God knows where. And Joe didn't have any of that. Just some working-class guy who happened to get into the school on the basis of his academic merit, I guess. And that's how I got in. Caroline's fascination is growing ever deeper. And Joe and I hit it off because, you know, I can be friends with just about everyone, anyone. But I got a special place in my heart for outcasts, misfits, the underdog. So it was just a natural fit. And although in hindsight, ah, I don't know. The guy had a lot of natural charm. Not like Jimmy touches his own chest. This. But he just had a real effective way of communicating. Even if what he was saying was completely fucking batshit. 
he could put it across in a way that the people would say, you know, I don't know if I agree with that. I might even think it's fucking crazy, but that's interesting. Okay, tell me more about that. I don't know if he ever knew that about himself or once he did. Anyway, Joe was tired of being the underdog. He was sick of being on the outside with his face up to the window looking in. He had something to prove. So he came up with this idea. Probably while he was still doing his exchange fraud in Mobtown. But he definitely honed and refined these concepts to the point where when put in front of the correct audience, which was these rich kids who wanted to get even richer, it was just like pouring gasoline onto a fire. At first, he needed a face man, right? Because eh, once he got with the outfits and the cars and stuff, he was a bit more approachable. But there was just something about him that I don't know. I can't really describe. So I'm going to skip that for right now. The point is that once he got networked with the correct talent and resources... Shortly after the inception of this club, it was off and running, full speed. Rodeo drive shopping sprees, fancy cars, lavish parties, millions, millions, millions of dollars. Jimmy makes a gesture like he's peeling bills off a billfold and tossing them onto the mattress one after another. This goes on for a minute. And suddenly, he was playing in a league that he had only ever imagined before. And if it hadn't already gone to his head, well... (sighs) And then, um... One or two of the other guys started putting some things together. Asking where the money went, type of thing. Getting a little suspicious... And right around that same time, Joe realized he'd been scamming a scammer who had scammed all of us right back. So all of this pretend money he'd been playing with was even more pretend than he thought. So that's when he and the head of security guy committed the first murder. Caroline is wrapped. And although she had looked at the file, she knew there was murder in this story. The delivery of this information just hits in a way that Jimmy can see on her face. We can circle back to all of that, too. Because I want to get to the important parts. But... (sighs) He lightly scratches his cheek... When everybody found out about the killing, it still took a little while for something to happen. Like, after the second killing. After that one, I couldn't really deny or pretend or rationalize it anymore because that one was a little more immediate, given that, um... Jimmy pinches the bridge of his nose. I was there for that one. I saw it. 
So again, condensing for time to try to get us to the point, Joe got busted, and um, the other guys ratted him out. Right. I was reading about that, about how everybody went to the police, and then they testified against him at trial. Yeah. Including his right-hand man. Yeah. Dean Carney. Jimmy needs a hot second to compose himself again, but then he decides he's just going to go for it. And, um, I'm Dean Carney. That's me. An expression dawns on Caroline's face. It had been building, and then it breaks. And Jimmy almost doesn't want to look at her, but he's looking at her. And to his surprise, she's not disgusted or enraged or even upset or hurt. She looks amazed, maybe a little bit thrilled. She pats the bed. Would you sit down? You sure that you... But she's sure. She's got no problems with him. She asked me back into her fucking house. Of course she's gonna want me to sit down. All right. He sits down onto the mattress so that they're looking at one another as if the bed in between them with the paperwork on it was a tabletop or something. He still wants her to be able to see him and not be directly next to her where she couldn't escape him or monitor what he's doing. So, you can take your time, but naturally, I want to know all about that too. Yeah. Yeah. They give you a new name and all? This wasn't exactly how Jimmy had expected this conversation to go. Yeah. So. It was in everyone's best interest for me to say what I knew and testify against Joe. And the cops really couldn't have put him away without all that anyway. So I was expecting to go to jail myself or something. But it turns out they were nice enough to allow me to go into witness protection in exchange for all of that. He taps the file about exactly that. So... How did Jimmy Kane get involved in all that? Is he even a real guy? Well, yeah, you're looking at him. <laughs> yeah. I guess this isn't how these things usually go, but he's a real guy. He existed before me. We were alive at the same time, but then something happened. And he went missing. And his dad, Jim, really wanted to know what happened to him. And more than that, 
I think he, he just wanted to have his kid back. And having been a cop, he knew somebody who worked for the feds. The feds had me on hand trying to figure out what to do with me. And I bore a resemblance, so they cooked up this plan, and I guess it worked out, because here we are. Caroline is still absolutely fascinated. She points to some of the paperwork. You mean to tell me this is not the same guy? The picture of Jimmy Keene, circa 1986, and another of Dean Carney in the same year. And apart from differences in the facial expressions, like Jimmy looks surly, kind of over it. Dean looks emotionally destroyed and depressed. Their hair is done slightly differently. But other than that, yeah, right? It's kind of uncanny. He's like my brother from another mother or something. <laughs> Caroline surprises Jimmy again because she takes her hand off the picture of him and his brother from another mother whose identity he had taken over reaches out to touch Jimmy's hand. Are you okay? That was not the next question he had expected to answer or be asked. Uh, in what sense? I mean, this is a lot to, to take on. Yeah. I kind of brought it on myself. Right? So, I'm happy to tell you all about it, but, I mean, just to answer your question, I mean, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, um, in general, surviving. And, um, he rubs his forehead lightly and is slowly losing touch with the world for a second. Yeah, and in other ways, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he points at the pictures again, just kind of gestures between them. Then he touches the picture of Dean. This guy, legally, officially, dropped off the face of the planet in 1987. He touches the picture of Jimmy. And this guy, nobody but God and maybe one other person knows where he is since the previous year. So, I'm barely even here at all. <laughs> 